So I'd like to start just by talking about the fact that we all have heroes in life. Some of my heroes are people that I share interest with, who have sown into my life. One of those uh, was Hiro Yuri. Uh, I think my love for gunpowder and lead was from him. In fact, when I was still in the hospital as an infant, he bought me a 410. And I think that it started me off on, on a path there. Another one of my heroes, a picture hangs in my office. His name's James Hammonds. A lot of people refer to him as Foch, or Fochi, not Fochi, not to be confused with masks and mandates, but Fochi. The picture in my office is from the Outer Banks, and he had reeled in a grouper, a huge grouper. And one of the things that I hold dear is the fact that I heard his testimony many, many times. And one time that he told me his testimony, something stuck in my heart. And we're going to build on that today. When he, the Holy Spirit whispered to his heart, conviction set in. He went to the front. He gave his heart to Jesus Christ. He asked Jesus to forgive his sin, to be his Lord. He repented all things new in that moment. Now, what's interesting was that during the time when he was a young man, things were somewhat different than they are now. One of those things that were different was the fact that when it came to smoking, smoking was almost advertised as something healthy. In fact, smoking advertisements from the time, if you would look, and there would be doctor's recommendations about which brand they would recommend. And he told me something. He said, when I left that meeting that day, I reached in my pocket and there was a pack of cigarettes. I took them out. I crumpled them up and I threw them in the garbage. And the next words have not left me. He said, because I knew God expected more of me. Notice with my story, no one came up to him and started giving him a list. But it's like God started speaking to him in the moment, and he listened to what God was saying. See, I live out in Leroy, and sometimes I like to go to Middlefield. And on the way to Middlefield, I take Route 608. And along Route 608, there's an intersection. And that intersection is Chardon-Windsor Road. And you may know this intersection. It's pretty wide open coming up to it. 608 doesn't stop. Chardon-Windsor has stop signs on either side. This has been the location of some terrible accidents. Not for a lack of people not being able to see what is going on, but maybe a lack of attentiveness to what's going on. And it speaks to me, and it says that when you approach these intersections spiritually, looks can be deceiving at times. Saying, slow down and pay attention to what's going on. And so today, building upon those two things, I want to talk about intersections to you break into a little theology for a moment, and there are three shuns that I'd like to talk about. 
The first one is justification. The second one is sanctification. And the third one is glorification. To break that down in terms that we understand clearly, justification occurs when I ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be my Lord, when I repent of my sins. Romans 5.1 comes into play. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, heaven's verdict is not guilty. We're a new creation. We're a son and daughter of the king. We're grafted into the family. We're adopted. We go from darkness into his glorious light. Fast forward a second to this glorification. Glorification is going to happen when we get to heaven. Best summed up from the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Down to verse 12. For now we see through a glass, darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. There will be a perfection that takes place when we see Jesus face to face. That will either happen when the trumpet sounds and Jesus splits the sky to call us home or when we breathe our last and step into eternity. Glorification. But it's that second one. It's that second one I can't let go of this week. It's that second one that when I wake up, God's saying, speak it, speak it, sanctification. See, I believe that sanctification is a process as we go through our walk. When the Bible defines something as being holy, it means something that is set aside, something that is not common. Sanctification is the act of setting something aside for a holy purpose. There are two words that are often used in church, one more than the other. The first one is struggle. The second one is sin. When you look in the King James Bible, how many times the word struggle is used, it is used exactly once. It's used when talking about Jacob and Esau being in their mother's belly before they're born and those babies moving, the struggle there. There's God's word for wrong, and that is sin. There's man's word for wrong, and that has become struggle. I would stand and say that it's time for God's people to begin to speak the truth between struggle and sin, but it's always been that time for God's people to speak the truth. And we've been commanded to speak that truth in love. There is no good pastor who would simply provide a place to love people into hell. Speaks the truth. And I want to do so in love. 
No good Jesus follower would simply let the world do their own thing and never speak up for the sake of Christ. Just because the world or the church world uses that word struggle and thinks it's interchangeable, God's definition of sin has not changed, church. In love, we serve a holy God. In love, we understand that when we're speaking that truth, it's because we know that when Jesus changes a heart, it's indescribable. We know that we want people to experience that same joy. We want to draw closer to him. And here's the truth, and I'm just being real. If in your walk, you have been using that word struggle, is there a chance, a possibility, that instead of carrying struggle, you've been carrying sin? What if the things that we've just learned to accept as we go along on this walk are things that we were never meant to carry that far? What if the things that we think in some way, shape, or form Jesus is going to give a stamp of approval on someday, he never does. Sanctification, it's a maturing process. It's a perfecting process that goes on. It's understanding that God has a purpose, a plan, and a path for you to walk. It's understanding that we have not yet been glorified. None of us are perfect, but we are here in this place during this walk where there will be things that will be put before us on our path that we're going to need to make a God decision about. And you hear that whisper from God, step closer, son, step closer, daughter. Nothing is impossible for God. But it can be awfully difficult for him to deliver us from those things that we defend. As a pastor, we need to, as a church family, be able to identify those things in our heart and in our life and call them as they are. If it is sexual immorality, it is sexual immorality. If it's spiritual compromise, that's exactly what it is. If it is toying with the things that will lead to complete destruction, we need to see it for what it is and call it for what it is. If it's a religious spirit and self-righteousness, call it out and be ready to do what God asks you to do next with it. If it's our language, see, God doesn't save a heart but not a mouth. When it comes to entertainment, this idea that like, well, I know they only, they only say that word 74 times in the first five minutes, but you know, everybody's watching it. We're not everybody. He didn't call me to be everybody. If it's a lack of willingness to extend forgiveness to others or that grace which was rained down on you, understand that the same forgiveness that was necessary to save your soul from hell is the same forgiveness that we can be a conduit for others with. And here's the truth. When I say that about a pastor, about a preacher, no preacher is going to yell you into a place where he's going to change your heart. 
No one's going to change because someone yelled at them. You know when they're going to change? They're going to change when they make a decision to change. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work. And we are nearing this intersection where God is saying, slow down, pay attention, take the necessary measures right now. Do not take this for granted. But understand you, you in the pew, me on the stage, you're not alone. You're not the first one to pass through this place. You're not the first one to come to this intersection. Jesus is with you. I think of Joshua. Think of this. He has watched Moses, Moses lead the people. This is Moses who has had intimate communication with God. This is Moses. But this is also Moses who is sitting on a mountain because he wasn't able to enter the promised land because of disobedience. Imagine Joshua in this moment. And in Joshua 1, 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. In other words, the land was promised, but not everyone will enter the land. And there is a process to get where God is leading you. There were steps that those children of Israel had to take with their own feet in order to step into the promised things. The same God then, the same God now. 1 Peter 1.16 says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy because I am holy. The truth, I can't will myself holy. I need a savior. I need the guidance of a heavenly father. I need the leading of the Holy Spirit in everything that I do. I must consistently walk in a manner that says, Jesus, I want this life to be set apart for you. I want to walk worthy of this calling. I always want to step away from the old things because see, that's what repentance means. And the farther you go down that path, the farther in the rear view the past should become. Holiness is not about hoops. Holiness is about relationship. Holiness is about drawing closer. It's about hearing those God whispers. It's about when that still small voice speaks that you respond to it. It's understanding that the good shepherd will lean down and whisper to his own. It's about understanding passages like Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 says this, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's time that God's houses are houses where fear and trembling is something that marks his people. And not so we can be relatively better, but so we can be like Jesus. But here's what's wild. In the very next verse, in verse 13, the Bible says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. They aren't contradictory verses. What they're saying is that what God's asking you to do, he's empowering you with the tools to do it. Oh, there's a work to be done. But see, the work that needs to be done is possible because the work that was done on the cross the work that needs to be done, we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to tap into the refining power of Jesus Christ like never before. The freedom is possible because absolute freedom was won. The Almighty God, he's working. 
He's working. And that work has been delegated to me on this earth to step toward him again. And when I get there, to step again as I get closer to him. I may not arrive today, but I'm going to draw closer today. That intersection of sanctification, it's not meant to beat us down. It's not meant to destroy us. It's meant to draw us. Something that you read about when you study, you've been in church any amount of time, you've probably heard this. It's about the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the most holy place. Sacrifices would be made for the camp, for God's people. As he would enter into this holy place, the priestly garments that he wore, one of the details on the priestly garments, would be along the bottom, along the hem, there were small metal pieces shaped like pomegranates, and they would ring. They would ring when he would walk. And one of the things that you can read about different places is the fact that there was a belief that a rope would be tied around the priest's waist or his ankle. Now, to be fair, this is not something that you can find in the Bible. It's telling you that. It's believed to come from Jewish tradition. It's recorded in different places, yet not in the Bible. But I read about it. Truth was, when this priest would enter into the holiest of place, the Shekinah glory, the kabod, meaning the weight of God's presence, would fall in that place. And it was required that he would be covered in that priestly garment when he went into that place. He had to be consecrated. He had to be set aside. He had to be ready. Because when the glory fell, that high priest, he had to be ready. Because it is said that if that high priest was not consecrated, if he was not in right standing with God, he would die. This was the idea with the rope, that if he died, they would drag him out. But here's what's wild. God's word does not say that the high priest's garments were kept in the holiest place and that when he entered there, that's where he got dressed. There was preparation that was necessary before he entered into the presence of God. The garments that he wore, they weren't common. They weren't anything else you would see in the camp. They were unlike anything else. They were costly to produce. Some of the things, like with the chest plate, there were precious stones that were on there. And what's wild about it is everyone knew who the high priest was, and when it came to that garment, you know what's weird? You know sometimes, like, if you had siblings or whatever, like, you would write your name in your jacket so nobody else would wear your jacket? There was no tag in the high priest's garment that had his name on it. The reason for that is that it wasn't considered a possession. It was considered sacred equipment. The covering didn't belong to him. That robe, it was made out of fabrics, some of the very same fabrics that made up the holiest of places in that temple or in that tabernacle. 
when he put that on, there was this idea that this is not going to be an ordinary encounter, what's going to happen. It was neither practical nor was it comfortable. The garment was made in a way that from the top of his head to about down here, every detail was covered. But you know what happened when you got down here? His feet were bare because he was going to be walking on holy ground. Because he was going to be in the presence. Because just like at the burning bush, the same God, the same God. And so when he entered that place, he knew that he was called. He knew every detail was prescribed by God, but the truth was he knew that God expected more of him. When the glory falls, are you covered? When the glory falls, are you covered? You didn't wear that outfit just for adornment, just for the dignity's sake. He did so to accomplish the worship that God himself called for. God commanded respect. God is not to be taken lightly. That penalty of death, of being unworthy or unclean, here's a wild fact. Whenever I heard that rope thing, whenever I would read about that rope thing, I always thought it was to drag him out if he died. Do you know what another thing in a small print off some footnote, off some like Jewish history guide I found? The thought was that potentially the rope was tied around him because when he would get in the presence of God and when the weight of God's presence would fall, he would kind of lose track of time and place. He would kind of lose track of what was going on on the outside. And the truth was on that day of atonement, he had to be out by the end of the day, right? And so he would get in there and just get lost in the glory cloud, and they would have to give him a tug to say, come back to reality. This is the place that when we get with God, when that communion happens, that somebody's going to have to tap us on the shoulder and be like, you still there? You still in there? I want to be so lost in the presence of God that the rope isn't because I'm an unworthy person walking into God's presence, but because they know that when I get with him, you're going to have to drag me out of there. Just like Joshua, there's places that the great I am is leading. There's promises that are going to require you to step there. Your there might look different than my there. Sanctification is a personal issue between you and the one who redeemed you. But we need to understand that the same God, and you know, there's this, this thought now, and again, we talk, God is love. God, God accepts us as we are, yes, and God wants us to change to look more like him. And this idea, again, of just like any time that we feel that, that idea that change, well, that's not of God. I don't receive that. Any time that there's there's speaking, teaching, preaching, given that kind of treads on like who we want to be and what we're okay with carrying. We're like, yeah, I don't receive that either. But there are promises that are going to require you to step there and then step again and step again. And the question is, how are you going to step? Are we going to take timid steps or are we going to take bold steps because we know the one who's directing them? Are we going to take bold steps because we know the authority that has been given to us as sons and daughters of God to walk into destiny?
Each step might seem hard. But is it not ironic that one of the things that we call a relationship with Christ is a walk? If I'm not moving, it's not a walk. If I'm not drawing closer, it's not a walk. It's a stay. I want to have a walk. The walk will lead to promise. That justification, it set you on a new path. There's a calling on your life that you may not have heard before. Step toward it. Just like that high priest, I want to be able to experience the full weight of his glory. I want to experience all of the promises that he has for me. Ephesians 4.1 says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. You know who was inspired to write those words, was a man who literally was a prisoner for the Lord at that very time. And Paul, and these words, it says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul doesn't say walk worthy like me. He says walk worthy that you were called. In other words, you have the ability to hear the voice of God. Well, I love the fact that I can be a shepherd and a pastor. If the only way that you think you're hearing God's voice is through me, that's wrong. It is through prayer. It is through reading your word. Coming into church should just be a confirmation of the things that God's revealing to you throughout the week. Intersections. Proceed with caution. Proceed with your attention on Jesus. Going to close. Where God is, the ground is holy. That has never changed. That has never changed. And when the glory of God falls, there is but one human reaction that can happen. 1 Kings chapter 18. There was a man. His name was Elijah. There was a mountaintop. It was filled with pagan Baal worshipers. There was a challenge that was given. Challenge that sacrifices would be put out and the true God, either Baal or the living God, would answer. Prophets of Baal did their best. Wasn't for lack of trying, wasn't for lack of yelling out, but there was no power there. When it came to Elijah, everything had been stacked up equally, except there was something missing. Need to dig the trench, need to pour the barrels of water. Because there was a confidence. He knew he was covered. And in one of the most eloquent short prayers in all of the Bible, Elijah opens his mouth to God. And the very next thing that happens is the fire of God falls and consumes everything. Everything. And the next thing that happens 
is the human reaction to the glory of God falling. In verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. In other words, on their faces, and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Notice when it says the people. It means the ones who had denied probably the very existence of this God, the ones who had worshipped this idol, the ones who may have been on the fence, and the ones who think they knew. Everybody cries out in unison the same thing. And this is why sanctification is a big thing. Because when the presence of God falls, when God's people are in the place and doing the things with confidence that he calls them to do, and when that glory falls, everyone's going to cry out. And you know what? I'm going to be crying out just like everyone else because it blows my mind every time God does what God does. It's the power that refines hearts. It's the power that says you are separated for purpose. For purpose. You have the consistent ability to daily hear the voice of God in circumstances that you may question what to do. And as you draw closer to him, it doesn't make you better than anyone else. It makes you closer to him. Don't stop. Don't stop until faith becomes sight. And church, personally, understand that God expects more. If you'll stand. It is such an honor to be in this house. I'm so thankful for all of you. I'm thankful for you allowing me to be who God created me to be. I'm thankful for your heart, your spirit of cooperation, for going all in. This is going to be a year unlike any year the church has ever seen. I've used these words before that I'm good scared because I know who's in charge. If you bow your heads and we're going to pray and after that the worship team will play. Father, right now I just pray that the, the weight of your glory would become evident. I pray, Lord, that the unmistakable whisper from you would be what our heart hears. I pray, God, that any spirit of religion would bow its knee to the true holiness that you are calling your people to. And Father, I pray that when you once again do what you do, that every one of us would find ourselves on our face because of who you are. I thank you and praise you for this church family and what you're going to be doing. In Jesus' name, amen.